0: Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 159. This cast as always, is always sponsored by CoolStuffInc.com with free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet 25% BIOS bonus. CoolStuffInc.com is the store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. I'm joined, of course, this week with my two co hosts, Jim Casale of CoolStuffInc.com and Ed Wynn of Tales of Adventure. How are you guys doing this week? I'm great, how about you? I cannot complain. Uh, You know, I thought I was out of buying magic cards and then I got sucked back in. Ed, how was your week? Just good. Well, glad to hear everyone is doing well. We've certainly gotten quite a few more Throne of Eldraine spoilers since uh, we last talked. Um, Jim, as our resident casual specialist... Was there anything that caught your eye from the latest week of Spoilers?
1: I mean, yeah. This set's kind of insane in a lot of ways. Um, the A lot of the alternate art um, showcase cards look much nicer than I thought they were going to, which is both good and bad. Uh, I didn't think I was going to want a whole lot of them, and I didn't think that a lot of them were going to be particularly good. And then, like... They're just all beautiful, and I'm really, you know, excited for the artists that did this, but I'm also, like, not very excited for my wallet because uh, they're not all available in regular draft boosters. There, A lot of them are only available in the uh, collector booster, which is probably pretty expensive. Uh, but other than that, um, there's definitely a lot of cards in the set that I think there are, people are, are definitely sleeping on right now and will probably not have, like... We'll, we'll be very mad that they didn't buy them in the future. Um, I think that all of the cycle of lands, the rare uh, monocolor lands, are just awesome. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, they're not duels. Oh, they don't really do anything. Oh, this, that. Like, it's really hard to, like, justify to people how good lands that do things that aren't make mana are. Um if you look at like common utility lands that have been available in the past, look at the price of Vault when it was in standard, look at the price of the Ink Moth Nexus, Kessig Wolf Run, even look at the uh, cards like uh, Search for Kanto which turns into Escanta the Sunken Rune. Like, you don't play it for the front side, you play it for the back side. Lands that do things other than tap for mana are extremely important, extremely good. These lands tap for colored mana and they come into play untapped, so they're like. Basically better than a basic. Oh wow, that was that was not really a good way to say that. But they are better than basics in a lot of situations. They're definitely better than basics in a monocolor deck, and even in two color decks, you can probably play two or three copies of the one that you want to play the most of, and it's pretty pretty solid in your mana base. I know. I in particular, I am very excited for the green one. Uh, the fact that it's like a Temple of the False God that taps for mana on the first five turns of the game instead of zero mana is pretty big. So I am probably going to pre-order a foil copy of that. Um, But, you know, if you play an aggro deck, the red and the black one are quite good. If you play a control deck, the blue and the white one are quite good. Uh, If you play a ramp deck, the green one's pretty good. Like, you have a lot of options on what you could be doing. So I'm excited about that. Uh, other than that i think that the um there's a lot of interesting things going on here so there's a bunch of legendary artifacts that cost less mana if you have something going on uh cauldron of eternity is the black one i think it might be one of the better ones uh it a lot of people read this card incorrectly i think and assume that it's just like whip of Arbus, where you're like reanimates your guy and then it dies at end of turn or it gets exiled but that's not what happens it just stays around forever uh so reanimating things for two black two and a black and two life is pretty good um i think that a lot of the three colored mana legendary creatures are very strongly pointing towards there being devotion in theros which is not entirely surprising uh, I don't know that any of them are actually good enough to play Ink Commander, which is where I would most likely want to play them, but it's definitely a good idea to keep an eye on them because if they reprint gods or they print new gods, you know, these are the kind of things that are going to enable them and people are going to want them, so uh, I will probably look into getting the ones I think I will play with the most, which is probably just the blue one, but uh, the rest of them are also pretty reasonable.
0: I'm pretty interested to see what happens with the uh, Elixir, Uh, like, not the Elixir of Immortality, but what you were talking about earlier, where um, you have to pay uh, 2 Black and 2 Life to reanimate something. Like Uh, The
1: Cauldron of Eternity?
0: Yeah, I'm really interested to see if that could be, like, good in Standard or, like, good in certain types of EDH decks. Uh, Like, one that comes to mind is Grenzo, where, like, you want to have creatures in the bottom of your library, and... Any other part of that card is just an added bonus, where that like easily slots into Grenzo because you can just keep putting the same creature cards back on the bottom of your deck.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think also a lot of people think that the part that the replacement effect uh, is on any card that goes to your graveyard, but it's only when a creature dies. So uh, if you're playing a mill like a self mill deck, this this card works very well. It costs less mana when you mill your own creatures, and the cards that mill don't stop milling after you have this in play. So like if you reanimate a card that mills people for a bunch, uh, like uh, Dreamborn Muse, those creature cards that go to your graveyard don't get put on the bottom of your deck. They just stay in your graveyard so you can reanimate them with the Cauldron later. So I think I think there's a lot of there's a lot to like about that card in particular. Um, I think like like the Magic Mirror, it is a card that uh, a lot of standard players I think are, is going to think of bulk. And uh, not be interested in, in owning them. So, if you see people to have them at your pre-release, you might want to uh, see if you can get them from them. If you uh, play more casual formats like commander,
0: yeah. Do you do you see anything where uh, the mirror could be slotted into specific commander decks? I mean, they are just
1: any deck that plays a ton of instances of sorceries. If you're playing like almost every is it style deck, if you play Baral, if you play. Like, niv it like, like any deck that plays a bunch of instants and sorceries, you can, you want to play this card. It draws you a ton of cards. It's a little bit slow, but, you know, if you can pay the amount of mana that it costs for a Fire X scenery to cast this, that's pretty good.
0: Yeah. Ed, was there anything you saw from spoilers that you were interested, maybe more in the competitive side or even on the casual side?
2: Um, not really. I, um, <clears throat> there's a lot of very interesting, like, build-around-me cards, or cards that have seemingly an excessive amount of text on them. Some of the more uh, build-around-me cards, I'm a little intrigued by, because those are the cards that have potentially very, very high ceiling if someone breaks it. Uh, probably the most noticeable one is Iron Ironcrag Feet. That's the one red, red, red. Uh, at seven red to your mana pool. You can only cast one more spell this turn. Um, that that's the, potential, that's the type of card that, if someone finds a way to break it, Um, it seems like it could be very good. Uh, there's a few other ones. Uh, the cauldron was particularly interesting as well. Obviously, if that one stands out, it'll be a casual all-star. Um, but, uh, some some of the other cards that are designed, I think, kind of hinted, like you guys had mentioned, towards a devotion, uh, centric theme come Theros in the winter um obviously that's a little ways off but i think uh i think i think getting ahead ahead of uh getting ahead of the game probably doesn't hurt right now we don't really know what that looks like but uh i think a lot of these are certainly designed with that in mind um that being said i think a lot of people are probably scratching their heads these a lot of these cards have a fairly high level of complexity um So I think people haven't quite figured out what's good, what's not yet. Uh, I do suspect that as we see more cards spoiled, um, we'll probably have a better idea of what's going to be good and what's not. I don't really think anything is necessarily actionable yet. But again, I think that's part of that is just due to the cards just having too much text, having just too many things going on. Um, So I think that's where I'm at. I think obviously there's quite a ways to go about this. There's, like, you know, there's a bit more drama surrounding some of the sealed product with Thrones. I'm sure we'll touch on that shortly. Uh, But regarding what's actually been spoiled, I'm just uh, kind of in a holding pattern right now. There are a few things that are of interest, but I don't know how deep I want to jump on them yet. But some of them are pre-ordering for such a cheap price that it probably doesn't hurt to pick up a a bunch of copies and kind of see where it goes. Yeah, Yeah, sorry, so... Can Go for, I a for a second? Oh, so I always, you are the voice of
0: I... wisdom on this cast. Oh, thank
1: you. I uh, I forgot about this while I was talking, and then I scrolled back through the spoiler list again, and I was like, oh, right, this card's busted. Um, so I did say that most of the three-color legendary creatures are not very good, but I think that one that is probably the most actionable that you should pay the most attention to is Torbrand Thane of Redfell. Uh, this card does not read very good, but the way that Standard is set up right now is kind of stupid. Uh, so this says whenever a red source you control will deal damage from an opponent or permanent an opponent controls. It deals that much damage plus two instead. Uh, there are a lot of, like, little pingers in Standard that would do a ton more damage when you, uh, when you attack with them. Like, uh, there's the elemental that whenever you attack, deals one damage to your opponent just turns that into three damage to your opponent, and then if you don't block it, they take three more damage. Uh is talking a lot about this card on Twitter, and I'm kind of believing that, you know, there's definitely going to be, like, a budget red deck that plays four of these as its top end. Uh, I don't know that it's necessarily going to be as good as, like, Hazoret or Chandra were at, you know, their peak when you're playing, like, you know, your four-mana red, you know, close out the game permanent, but... If you're the kind of person that likes to play ag- red aggro decks or if you just like are on a budget, I don't think that uh, this card is something that you want to pass up. I think that once people realize that it's quite good, uh, it'll get quite expensive because there's not a lot of other cards in the mono red deck that can be expensive. It's mostly just a pile of comments and this rare seems to be like the one that stands out the most as the most important part of closing out a game with that deck
0: and that's honestly part of the fun um part of finance i guess you could say is just paying attention to social media and what pros tend to think of cards it's something that a lot of people haven't done for a while um but like we've seen i I would say like back to theros or and even before that uh kibler had that random innistrad rare dark dark ascension rare where like he went deep on it jim and ed would probably know but uh Like, it always seems like pros are calling cards on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, Kibler was on Daybreak Ranger. Um, So it's just something to keep in mind uh, just to, like, have an active social media presence Uh, when you're doing finance. Like, besides just reading finance articles or listening to finance podcasts, uh, reading, like, content creators' articles or um, paying attention to what people say on social media. So if Ari says it's good, I'm tempted to believe that at some point it'll definitely see some play.
1: Yeah, obviously we're we're doing this without knowing the whole set. We don't know what sets are coming up in the like. We don't know what cards are in the sets in the future, but uh, you know, things like fanatic of Mogus and uh, you know the the red the red devotion cards that we got last time would work well with this style of cards. So I feel like if we're expecting devotion, which I I have to imagine that we are, given how many like hybrid mana cards there are and how many, like, three and more um, colored casting cost cards there are uh, that Theros will likely have some Devotion theme going on. You know, this, is, this this doesn't seem like a particularly expensive card right now, but could be quite soon.
0: Anything else that you guys want to talk about with uh, Throne of Eldraine before we move on? I think we're good all right well we talked about brawl on last week's podcast um i feel like we should mention uh, what, what what steps wizards is taking after even star city said hey we're not doing pre-orders because we have no decks in stock uh jim so do you want to talk about good... sorry go, i was gonna say go that's a it.
1: good topic to talk about because our credit winner this week asked the question about that in particular
0: all right so do you want to get into the credit winner then
1: yeah, so our credit winner this this week is Clayton Harbison.
0: He asks, uh,
1: hey, everybody, with a significant reprint on the way. Uh, he has that in quotation marks, which I assume is like whatever Wizards of the Coast is saying is a significant reprint. Uh, the singles from the decks being available in the collector's boosters. Do Yun's think the price of the Prawl pre-cons go back down to about $20 or stay higher? Uh so I think that was what we are going to talk about anyway, so let's let's talk about it. Uh, I definitely don't know how long it's going to take the new reprints to get to the stores, so without that knowledge, it's hard to say how fast the cart prices will fall. I feel like Jeremy Red will have a better idea of when that's coming.
0: I don't necessarily know if the prices will fall. Um, demand for this is extremely high, and they did do a good job of... Uh, like managing both reprints and new cards in this set and i feel like for a while as more and more commander players start to see the power of some of the new brawl specific cards that can be uh, extrapolated into commander as a whole like for probably a week or two it's going to be a ton of demand after that i would expect that this would follow the trajectory of most commander sets where we see a little bit of a plateau for a while and then gradually over the next year unless we see something happen with brawl as it is coming to arena i would expect these cards to start trickling up um until they either leave brawl and if their price is dedicated is a uh, predicated on brawl prices then i would expect the prices to go down even if there's a ton of brawl players out there Um, but if it's prices predicated on commander play then i would expect it to go up a lot more fast Uh, specifically the two mana uh, mana rock that is probably going to be in every single edh deck because as most people know that have listened to this podcast for a while and as jim himself has said commander players normally don't like to take decks apart so if you have a lot of multicolored decks, you're going to want a lot of copies of this, um, which means your LGS is going to be sold out, which means Walmart is going to be sold out. So uh, even our sponsors may be sold out. So it's it's definitely going to be interesting. Uh, one way to note... Um, The future of this card is just to check the spreads of some of the retailers. If you start seeing, like, ABU and Card Kingdom and cool stuff paying, like, 110% of TCG low, you can expect that those copies are going to get snatched up either by players or people looking to make free money through arbitrage. Um, So it's just something to keep in mind when looking forward to the future prices of these singles.
1: Yeah, the... uh... The Arcane Signet in particular, I think, is a card that, in the long run, will go down in price significantly, um, because I feel like in the future it's going to just be like as ubiquitous as Soul Ring in every deck, uh, in, yeah, even Brawl or Commander decks. In the future, I, I I can't see a world where they just don't put one in each of them.
2: Uh, I, I think you more or less hit the point in the head. I think there's a bit of uncertainty. Obviously, this is something new. This is kind of a new direction. Um, I think they're wanting to shift directions in the sense that when Brawl first was first announced, in case I will forgot, I think it was like, I want to say, last year or something. And it basically just immediately petered out because there was no real support. There was no real interest. This is kind of the first time that they've made a real concerted effort to support the format one because it's both on arena and two now they're trying to bring it to paper magic with something that's ready to play out of the box the fact that there is this much demand for it out of the box means that it's a much bigger deal than what wizards had thought and they clearly underestimated it so it's something that they probably want to capitalize on um So I do think that there will be probably a short-term plateau. There will be an initial kind of rush for everyone to get it now that's going to be available again. um, They'll probably put a fairly low ceiling on the actual price. But I think once people realize that there's probably a fair amount of design space, and I imagine if this is something that Wizards wants to continue to push, that they'll continue to design cards, continue to make... Brawl-centric type products in the future, possibly. Um, I think they'll down the road, we'll probably again, like Jeremy said, we'll probably see a similar trajectory as some of these price sealed products will probably slowly creep up in demand as people want to want to continue to play with them, improve on them, whatever. Um, as as odd as it sounds, and as crazy as it is, if you look at some of the prices for old Commander sealed product. Um, some of the sealed decks are worth far far more than the value of the singles combined but there's still people who want who want to go out and buy old sealed commander products and I don't think that this brawl product will be any different
0: yeah that's definitely a good point to bring up as well uh, Jim is there anything that you wanted to add about our, our credit winners question
1: uh, nope but Clayton you can send me an email at cartelaristocrats at And then during the next cast, I will send you your $25 gift certificate to CoolStuffInc.com. If you'd like to win next week, you can leave a question on the CoolStuffInc.com page that will go up the day after this podcast airs.
0: Yep. And uh, what else do we want to talk about this week? Any specific financial trends that you guys are interested in as of late? I mean, it's hard to
1: say, really, because... With all this Throne of Eldry and stuff, not uh, a lot of other things have really been moving that much.
0: Do we want to talk about how Masterpieces have been going down? Or has no one, uh, or like the Judge I promos? honestly
1: hadn't noticed.
0: Well, so I'll just touch on this real fast because I sort of want Ed's input. Uh, we started to see Masterpieces trend down quite a bit. Um, not Nothing like, dear God, like I've lost all my money since like they came out in a way. But if you start looking at a lot of the staples that, like, you definitely need four of these to play, you're starting to see retraces on prices such as um, Lotus Petal, Entomb, um, uh, what's it called? Thought Seize, uh, Force of Will. They're all starting to trend down about 10 to 15%. I was just curious if Ed thought that, you know, it's just because not as many people are buying uh, expensive Magic cards towards the end of the year or if we're just starting to see this as
2: a effect of, like, a slowing economy. I think it's more of the effect of a slowing economy. I think uh, prices last year rose at a fairly unsustainable rate. Um, as you know, it's uh, we've always seen this evidence mostly in old school. Last year, when people were buying out cards left and right, um, a lot of people, I imagine, um, probably bought with the intention of reselling. And now, you know, we're obviously a ways off. This is, you know, more than a year past that point uh, when it started happening, probably last April, May, June, kind of towards the beginning of the summer. Um, and now that we can kind of look at it in hindsight, I think we're realizing that a lot of people who, you know, try to jump on, you know, the investment train realize that these cards don't have the same liquidity, um... And the prices uh, probably, in some form, do turn people off from the market. Uh, I know a lot of people who play old school are probably a little disillusioned with the the format, in the sense that when they had played, uh, this is this is a fairly recurring story, but this is anecdotal, so it's one of those your mileage may vary things. A lot of people who got in had done so because it was kind of the natural progression for them. They've played for such a long time. You know, they had Legacy decks. Eventually, that when cards started to surge, they would convert Legacy into Vintage. They would start looking at towards getting power, etc. Um, for them, the next stage would be getting, you know, upgrading their power to beta, alpha, etc. And then if you take that one step further, old school probably would be... the kind of the final stage of evolution for a product and for a lot of them uh when the cards jumped in price i think it probably turned quite a few of them off because they were used to being able to buy cards without this additional burden of these wannabe investors people trying to jump on the jump on the hype train and just buying cards out when they weren't needing to and more or less I don't necessarily want to say pricing them out because I know a lot of people who play old school um, can certainly afford it. But they're choosing not to because they were... When they were doing it, they were buying at a market that was relatively untapped. And now that, you know, everyone was made aware that, hey, old school is actually a thing and people just start buying cards for no real reason, um, it probably just kind of turned some of them off. And now that we have... You know, now that people are considering okay, I bought these cards, I probably have priced out of old school, I don't really want to, you know, spend the remaining $10,000 wherever to finish a deck, that probably means that they're trying to slowly inject these cards back into the marketplace, and a lot of them aren't super liquid, a lot of people don't, aren't really in a rush to buy them, um, even for cards that have particularly high demand, you know, even something like Beta Swords of power Shares, for example. Swords of power Shares is a very good legacy card. It's a good EDH card. Um, it sees play even in vintage. Uh, it's not the easiest thing to sell. Even if you have them in nice condition, you're probably gonna be wanting top dollar. There's probably a relatively narrow subset of people that want nice Beta Swords of power shares. And the people that are looking for beat Beta Swords of power shares, for example, to round out their set or something, they can probably afford to wait on a deal because if they've already waited a year or whatever, they can probably continue to afford to find one that's worth picking up at a reasonable price. Um, so I think all that together, um, you know, that's that's kind of old school. Masterpieces, again, kind of have followed the same directory. Um, I think all, all these factors together have just made it so that all these premium luxury products are just kind of overwhelming people or people just aren't necessarily the same market or as excited to buy them because they know that there's just going to be something new down the line that they can buy this podcast shouldn't be free
0: (laughs) this information's too good um yeah i tend to agree um especially because i feel like i'm even more so a figure of the old school community than uh ed is when it comes to like dealing with people like this um like, taking beta swords to plowshares, for example, um, a lot of old-school players either want gem mint or they want beta crud, as Ed was saying. <coughs> the people that generally want the LP copies are, like, legacy players for the most part. I, I tend not to see that many old-school players that want, like, copies that have a few dings. They either want, like, the barely playable beta swords to plowshares or they want super nice ones to go with the rest of their super nice old-school deck. Um... And you're starting to see, like, okay, this isn't necessarily financially relevant, but if you've seen this on social media, like, I'm just explaining why. Ed said that a lot of old-school players are becoming disillusioned with, like, the pricing. You're starting to see old-school players vow to never sell their cards, and they're writing, like they're like acetoning their beta cards with like their names and like text and all that. And it's becoming more and more common in old school tournaments that I've been to this year where you take some expensive cards and everyone signs it as part of like a community card, which means it can never really be sold only like given away as a prize or something. So that's like been the old school players um, response to prices going crazy. Um, we are starting to see uh, a, a, a softness, I guess. I don't know the best way to put it. A a spread that's emerging that's bigger than normal on a lot of these old school cards. And like you saw, and thanks to the old school Discord, I was actually able to look at this. You saw Card Kingdom drop Juzam Jin uh, HP to like $800, which had never been done before. It was normally at like $1,000 or something. And those so they put 12 of them there, I believe. This is all from memory, so it's not perfect, but the prices and quantities are around the same. They put like 12 HP or whatever their grade for HP is, Juzam's at 800. And someone noticed it in the Discord. And, like, they were gone in, like, two minutes. Um, and then, like, the next time Card Kingdom relisted, they were at 850, for example. So, clearly, like, there's a little bit of... Um, Player demand still for some of the premier old school staples, where like the card will continue to hold its price. It can't fall any further because there's so many people that think it's a good deal that they want to buy in. But at the same time, as Ed has not, yeah, excuse me, as Ed has seen and a lot of people have seen. A lot of these, like, alpha and beta rares that, like, were bought out because someone wrote about them on an article or someone talked about them on a podcast or, like, someone just decided to buy them out, they've been going down just because there is no actual demand. And the only way to move those is by arbitraging them to buy lists or trading in and getting a credit bump. It's not anymore that you're able to get straight gold cash, like Ed said, when everyone was going crazy buying anything that was old or on the reserve list last year. So we're starting to see a shift in how players that play old school think about the finances of the game, as well as um, players that uh, just, you know, maybe want to get a deal or something. And we're even seeing a ton of people as well. There's it, it, feels to me like there's less people upgrading to beta and alpha power. There's a lot more people trying to sell their beta and alpha power and downgrade to Unlimited because they're seeing how much in the last year the beta and alpha stuff has gone specifically for power, and they're at that stage in the life where that's a new house, that's a payment for child tuition, stuff like that. So hopefully that wasn't too rambly, but I think Ed's viewpoint on this is, is very... It's the meat and, bo- meat and potatoes of this podcast where he's connected to all these people buying and selling cards at Grand prix, and he's just telling you guys this for free. Which is why vendors listen to our podcast, apparently. So, yeah, pay attention. Listen to the podcast. It doesn't cost you anything. Jim?
1: Uh, I don't really have anything to add about old school. Like, honestly, what is it, like five minutes before this cast started, I was like, hey, Jeremy, how much do you want for that beta, demonic tutor, and soul ring? And then you told me the numbers and I was like, Why would anyone ever buy these things? It doesn't make any sense.
0: And the crazy part is, you're seeing commander fanatics like, um, uh, like I'll shout one out because, like, he's bought from me publicly, like Shivim, uh, from, yeah, yeah, uh, so he'll, like, ask, like, hey, how much for a beta soul ring when I post it on Twitter? And I'll tell him, and he's like, that's too much. And then he's like, well, how much for unlimited soul Rings? And I'm like, oh, $35 for played, $50 for LP, which is like half of what they were a year ago when Star City was even paying like $70 on LP unlimited soul Rings, for example. And like, he's fine paying $35 for an HP unlimited soaring. Ring. He, he doesn't want to pay $10 for a revised soaring, Ring, and he doesn't have the budget to pay $250 to $350 for a nice beta soaring. Ring. And alpha ones are crazy, too so like we're starting to see a lot more players like shift to pimp but not quite pimp uh cross format all-stars like the queue people will still buy beta soarings and all that but commander like you can only afford so many soarings when you own 20 decks and like you can get like six to like 10 uh unlimited soarings that have the same art and the same sort of look as like one beta soaring yeah like- so- sorry for interrupting you jim
1: no, it's okay. Like I was just like looking at, it, I was like, what does it cost to get like a foil one, and then what does it cost to get the the beta one? And I'm like, I like shiny stuff a lot. Like that's my preferred. So like looking at like, oh, I could buy demonic tutor on TCG player, and I could buy the like full art foil one for a hundred ish dollars, hundred and ten dollars for the like Ultimate Masters Box topper Demonic Tutor. Or I can pay like two or three times as much money for like the second printing of it, which don't get me wrong. Like a big demonic tutor looks really cool, but it doesn't it doesn't sparkle the same way. And I don't I don't quite like I don't quite understand it. Like I, I buy a lot of excessively expensive cards. Like I I, I know that. I know I buy a lot of, like, special edition ones and, like, full art ones or whatever. Like, the, the most expensive of a lot of different copies of cards. And I just can't, I can't like, figure out how people decided they want, like, the alpha or beta one instead of just, like, getting the, like, reprint foil that exists now. Or even the non-foil because you can get, like, the non-foil version of the the grand prix one and that's like still pretty cool and not foil if that's like really not your thing i don't know i just like i can't stand the white border cards so the revised and unlimited ones are just out of my out of my wheelhouse completely sure. I, I i can't understand why people pay more for like a white border one than a black border one at all
0: okay but something that we need to keep in mind as we've been harping on for the on those podcasts for the last 6 months or whatever which version of Demonic Tutor is going to hold up better in the next recession? Is it going to be a beta copy or a foil copy? That's a box right? Or- no,
1: and I, and that's like <clears throat> and that's a good thing to point out is like they can print more full art foil Demonic Tutors eventually. Like for a very long time, the the dual deck Divine versus Demonic uh, Demonic Tutor was the only one that was available with that art. And the only reprint of Demonic Tude for a very long time. And it was very expensive. It was like $50. Now it's like half as much money because they printed it in one set as a rare. In a $10 booster set as a rare. So yeah, there's definitely like... You know, it doesn't hold up the price as much. And that honestly might be the deciding factor for me. Since so like... If I'm going to play with it, that's fine. But if I decide I don't want it later i'm going to get likely what i paid for it or more so it's i think a bit better than buying a foil if you're just looking about the financial security of, of purchasing it like if you want an investment thing that also you can play with that that makes sense to do it that way so it's definitely thing something i like necessarily think about all the time but it's just like Blows my mind sometimes. We're like, oh yeah, beta like flying man is like a million dollars. That's probably not in that set, is it? It's probably like Arabian Nights or something. But like a one man, a one one flying, like you know, flying man is just like infinity dollars. And was like, I don't understand. I don't understand the the appeal of it. I,
0: yeah, that's a good point.
2: I I, I think a, uh, so. There's two parts to this. Um, one kind of the part of it, it's partially baked into the price in the sense that when you're looking at, you know, and let's use your example, Demonic Tutor, right? Like, a UMA Demonic Tutor, or even the Dualdex Demonic Tutor, it has, like, a relatively fixed price. If you walk around, you can probably expect to... There's probably a pretty tight band on what you would pay on a, a UMA Demonic Tutor, a Box Hopper uh, Demonic Tutor, etc. There's not really going to be that much variation, but the beta ones you're just go. you're just gonna find there's just gonna be like a huge spread on it right like in um you know it depend, depends on how they're picked up right if we have you know some of these collections that come out of the woodwork uh you know some like almost every grand prix there's always some some person who comes in says hey i've been i've been playing magic for for you know god knows how long i'm just here to get rid of my cards um you know you picked up a great deal some vendors might not care you know they just tack on you know i paid x dollars if i get x plus 25% and someone gets a good deal of it great um and that's just kind of the nature of song old school cards right like i like i walk around and i look at people's cases and i look at something i might not necessarily think that this is like how to put this for, for cards that have a very set price, it's easy to say, hey, this is my buy list, this card is at my buy list, or below my buy list, or close to my buy list, I know I can make some dollars on this, whereas uh, you kind of have to reverse engineer it for a lot of these old school cards, because the price isn't necessarily something that is, something. it's not something you can look up, it's not something that you can pinpoint and say that, okay, this is how much it should be, because that's something that you have to more or less make up for yourself. It might have more value to you if you have a customer for it. If you have someone that's, you know, hey, I'm looking for a near swords of shares, a near beta shorts of shares, or a near bit beta demo tutor to finish my set or something. Um, you know, it might have more value to to you, as, you know, if you're trying to, you know, if you think you can profit from it than, you know, the person that, you know, spent $20,000 on this person's, you know, old school cards or whatever, and now they're just trying to get their money back or something. Um, so, those cards, I know, like, you know, or in Jeremy's case, like, we, if we look at revisit the Juzam example, it's easy to say that an HP Juzam at 800 is a pretty good deal, especially if I can spend Card Kingdom credit towards it. But I probably wouldn't want to spend $800 in cash if I saw it in a booth at a GP. Um, and that's just kind of, that's kind of the nature of dealing with old school cards is that because there's no price, because your data is a lot more limited, you basically just have to kind of go on experience go on networking to kind of be able to to capitalize if you're trying to transact a lot of these cards
0: yep great point anything else that you guys want to talk about this week or should we get into our pick pick of the week no i think we're good yeah this has been a very action-packed podcast so ed as um someone with the sniffles this week do you have any sick picks for us
2: Oh. wow. Just just wow. That was something you just did there. All, all my picks are sick. I don't know what where you, where you're trying to get at. His
0: me. picks are contagious. He just blows right through the competition.
2: I can wow. keep going. I
0: haven't done puns in like four episodes. Uh. Uh.
2: <laughs> all right. Um. Uh, my pick of the week is Leyline of Anticipation. This is... Oh, did I just completely wreck you? <laughs> I had lay you of, I had all
0: the spreads for Leyline of Anticipation up. I, I'm i going to go find a new pick. Oh, wrecked. Um, yeah, it, you sprung that one on me with a flash.
2: Uh, that was terrible. Um, uh, so to elaborate on this, Leyline of Anticipation, this is the blue Leyline, as Jeremy very subtly hinted to. Um... It basically gives all your spells the ability, uh, the ability flash. Um, so this is uh, this is one of those cards where the only other printing I believe was Guild packed, the original printing for it. Um, so it was uh, prior to the, prior to the release of Core Twenty in the reprint, it was pretty expensive. I th- want well, to say it was probably about uh, retail and it was about fifteen dollars, and then Core Twenty dropped. And then once it was spoiled, along with the rest of the Ley Lines, uh, they all dropped pretty hard. Uh, ley Line of Void probably took the biggest hit. I think you can find it for like sub-$10 now. Uh, ley Line of Sanctity took a huge hit. I, I don't think that card's like... That card's like barely above bulk, I think. I think it's like 3 or $4 or something. I think it's almost buy this for like a dollar. Um, but it's worth noting that Ley Line of Sanctity was... Much much more expensive compared to Leyline of Anticipation, even though Leyline of Sanctity had additional reprint in Modern Masters fifteen, um, but it, I, th- I think this Leyline of Anticipation it really goes to show how much of a driving force Commander is in EDH is, because giving your spells flash is not really something that is easy to replicate in in terms of EDH. I want to say you have and Orri, and I think there's like a few fringe creatures that kind of do something similar. But it's more more narrow in scope. Only usually applies to like I think there's cards that give creature spells flash. I know there's cards that give instants and sorceries or er, sorceries flash. Um, I, I so they're much more narrow in scope. Um, so the fact that Leyline of Anticipation has certainly rebounded because I remember when it first came out, it was it was quite low, and I think now it's like starting to slowly creep back up. And it wouldn't surprise me if like in a year or something, or even just in a few months when all the Core 20 stuff starts to explode in price, that Layline Anticipation probably gets pretty close back to where it was previously, probably like $10 is not outside of the question, um, probably like a few months or so. And I actually do expect a lot of Core 20 to explode in price as well. I think there's just so little of it open compared to the majority of the other um, sets, mainly just because there's no real chase card, there's no you know, big money card, like in Nicol Bolas or Couture of Worlds in the past, um, corset set. that really prop the price. A lot of people were just very hesitant to open boxes, so there's not a lot of this stuff out there. So, uh,
1: it's a good, a good thing that uh, Ed was talking about Core 20 because my pick of the week is also from Core 20. Uh, the last time I picked... Well, I think we've all picked these cards at some point in the future, but we have more actionable information since the last time we did this. Uh, I think that all of the Cavaliers and Vivian, because of their triple colored casting cost, uh, are probably cards that you're going to want to own. Uh, the Cavaliers by themselves are all pretty reasonable. Cavalier of Thorns, is included, you know, has been played in standard and has been you know good if not like you know just passable um, and most of them are basically bulk mythic status like the green or the green one's the only one that's a, a couple of dollars the black the blue the red and the white one are all two dollars or less uh, so you know mythic rares especially from core sets can get very expensive especially if there's a deck and the best deck starts playing four of them uh, right now it's not even in the top 20 cards uh, being sold on TCG player so there's clearly no demand for them right now. Uh, I don't think that these cards should be sub five dollars uh, when Deros releases, which I don't believe is the next set. It's the set after. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, I think there's there's one set in between, or is it the next one?
2: I. I believe anyway. that it's the winter set. That's why I said previously. If I'm mistaken, then my bad. But I'm fairly, I'm reasonably certain it's the winter set. Okay, well then, even
1: more, you have even less time to to buy these kinds of cards. You know, like it's people really not opening M twenty. Uh, there's not that much of it available. I don't really know. Like we can't, we can't tell you what colors are going to be good. But if you know that you're the kind of person that's like, oh, I'm going to play white creature decks because I know that I'm going to always play white creature decks, then maybe you should work, think about investing in stuff like the the White Cavalier, Bishop of Wings, just any cards that have multiple uh, multiple mana symbols in their casting cost. Uh, I think is is a good idea, and I think the Cavaliers in particular, even if you don't. Like, if you buy a set of each Cavalier right now, I don't think that they all become good, but I think that the ones that do become good, you can sell and at least make your money back on the ones that aren't good.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that's a pretty strong pick of the week. It's also
2: worth noting that because they're all Knights, they probably have some minor synergy with the cards in the set. I think it... I. Th- oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah.
1: The red, the white, and the black one are probably going to be the most important, because those are the knight colors
2: to begin yes, with. Yes, so, like, there's probably not going to be much in the way of, like, green knights or blue knights, but it's a, it's a non-zero bit of relevance that they all have the knight subtype, so that's probably worth looking out for, if that steers your, you know, pick in one direction or another, if you're trying to, you know, invest on these.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, my pick of the week is... Uh... Prime Speaker Vanifar. This card is finally settled out of seeing play in Modern, and um, is its price is solely predicated on Commander. Anecdotally, we've been seeing a ton of orders for this card. It's currently like retailing at most for $3 anywhere, and I see this being an easy $10 card in two years with no reprint. Uh, this is a card that a lot of EDH decks want to play, and if it sees any play whatsoever in Standard, though I doubt it, it's just free money at that point. So I like trading into these or like using it to finish up an order at like a a card shop or something. I don't think you can really go wrong with this. And its price is pretty stable and just predicated entirely on commander play at this point.
1: Yeah, that's a good idea.
0: Anything else this week, guys? Or are we ready to wrap it up?
2: I think we're good to wrap it up. Alright, where can people go ahead and find you guys? Uh, I'm Edwin. You guys can find me on Twitter at Edwin13. I'm headed to Atlanta very shortly. I'll be at the Tales of Adventure booth all weekend. Probably gonna see a different crowd of people this weekend since it is Legacy. I know a lot of people uh, only play Legacy, so it'll be cool to uh, see some people. Jeremy may or may not be there. I'll let him decide on that. Other than that, I think this is it for a little while. I won't be at Montreal for the GP... Uh, I haven't decided if I'm going to Bangkok yet, and then, uh, Phoenix will be the next U.S. one I'll be at.
1: My name is Jim Jim Kassai. You can find me on Twitter at P-H-R-O-S-T underscore. Uh, you can find me, unfortunately, not at Atlanta this weekend. I was planning to go, but then I had some change of plans. I'll be in Montreal this weekend. If, uh, for some reason, you're there, you can shoot me a uh, message on Twitter. Maybe we can hang out sometime.
0: I'm Jeremy. You can find me on Twitter at MissouriMTG. I may be in Atlanta. If you see Ed crying behind the tails of a venture booth and there's a tall, bald dude giggling at him, that's probably me. Uh, I don't know if I'm going. I think I will figure that out in the next 12 hours or so. Um, I have a modern 10K coming up for charity. There's, like, 30 people signed up because, lol, modern. So, it's free money if you come at this point. Like, I'm paying down to top something. So, yeah, that'll be fun. Um, are you going to pay down to top 32? <laughs> and everyone yeah, who just I think we pay down to the top... Just,
2: just gets free cash? Yeah,
0: so it's 10000 guaranteed regardless of turnout. And, like, all these modern players were saying why are you running all these legacy events? Like we want one. And then I'm running one and they've had like five months notice and no one signed up. So take that modern players. Um, They're like, honestly, they, they may just all sign up the day of again, which is a massive headache from my perspective. Uh, You can find this podcast at cartel underscore finance on Twitter. You can find us on SoundCloud, you can find us on our sponsors, CoolStuffInc.com, and you can always check in on our Discord, which is on our Twitter as well, to interact with us in real time. Thanks for listening, guys. We do appreciate it. We'll see you next week, and as always, guess what? Bye-bye.